Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable, high-speed internet. Today, I'm joined by Elliot Noss, CEO of Ting. We discuss how Ting is leveraging different partnerships to help close the digital divide in the U.S., including its recently announced plans to deliver service in Memphis, Tennessee. We also discuss how the company is using the federal government's Affordable Connectivity Program, or the ACP, to extend the reach of its gigabit services, what happens if that program ends, why Ting supports net neutrality, and more. Elliot, thank you so much for joining me, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So um, before we get into the nitty gritty of the ways that Ting is helping to solve the digital divide in the United States of America, um, for anyone who is maybe unfamiliar or less familiar with Ting, why don't you just tell us a little bit about the company and the different ways you guys are providing service and maybe how many markets you're in at this point? Sure. Uh, Ting is a, uh, a, a company that's owned, is a private company owned by Two Cows, which is a public company. Two Cows has been around for, we're celebrating our 30th anniversary next year. Uh, and Ting is a, a mid-market fiber builder like Metronet and Allo and Greenlight and, you know, a number of others who are uh, uh, really pushing hard on the coax to fiber transition in the U.S., and, uh, you know, I think uh, most people still don't appreciate the breadth of mid-market builders and how much change is happening beneath us. Yeah, absolutely. And how many, how many markets are you guys serving at this point? Well, you know, I think about it as six or seven, but okay. uh, for instance, you know, when we're talking about suburbs of Raleigh, that's three or four markets. And so... Right. Yeah. So it could be like six or seven or 16 or 17, I guess, right. depending on. Okay. All right. So um, just since we're going to talk a bit about, you know, the, the fiber business um, and you guys just reported quarterly earnings, is there any uh, important takeaways about how your fiber business is going at this point? I mean, the one of the great things about these businesses is when they're well run, they're incredibly predictable and reliable. Uh, so, we, you know, we had another quarter that's just uh, more homes in the ground, we uh, more customers loaded on the network. We really are, um, relative to most of the industry, we have uh, higher take rates, we have higher ARPU, we have lower churn, and we have incredibly high customer satisfaction. So it's just, you know, kind of a little better in most of the operating variables, and that continues. Okay, cool. Um, so you guys, uh, like you mentioned, you're a mid-market provider, um, and I think you deliver service in a couple of different ways. You have open access partnerships. Um, maybe before we get into a couple of those partnerships, talk to me about um, how you guys are delivering service. Uh, do you look at it as different models, like we come in as an open access partner or we come in as the, the main provider? Tell me a bit about how you guys yeah. are looking at these different partnerships and and why and how they help you uh, fulfill your mission here. Sure. Uh, I think that to your point, uh, we've always viewed ourselves as an ISP. You mm-hmm. know, we, we don't really believe Cable companies are ISPs at their core. We don't believe that phone companies are ISPs at their core. You know, we grew up in the dial-up space, which was hyper-competitive. And uh, I think with a lot of the mid-market folks, uh, you know, some certainly have similar backgrounds. And, and so this is kind of the return of, 
you know, broadband and telecom to internet and ISP is what I think we we see going on all around us. So because we view that ISP piece as strategic, every market has capital, construction, and then you've got to operate it. The first two, 18 to 24 months, bigger market, 36 months, but the ISP is around for 100 years. So we've always viewed the other two, construction and capital, is tactical and ISP is strategic. That's why we're more promiscuous in terms of partnering than most of our, well, really than anybody else in the industry. You know, we have partnerships with uh, a, a city in Westminster, Maryland, with a utility in Colorado Springs, with a couple commercial entities. Uh, really, you know, we're very flexible about the way we do that. And a, a big part of the reason is because we are at our core an internet company. We have a modern software stack that lets us be a little bit more flexible and nimble. But importantly, you'll note that I keep saying partner when you've been asking yeah. about open access. You know, I really believe that open access in the U.S. is a misused term, uh, uh, that there is a lot of open access in Europe. People have talked about bringing that here, but because of differences in the ISP markets in Europe and North America, you know, the ISP community here was crushed. So there is not really, you know, with the exception of a very small uh, 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 situations like Utopia, uh, like Amon Idaho, there really isn't true open access here. So I call them partner networks. Right. Okay, got it. Um, and I, I want to get to a couple of those specific partnerships, but I'm also wondering, you know, you guys, uh, there are a few different ways that ISPs see themselves as solving the digital divide. Yeah. Uh, it could be going to unserved markets, underserved markets, coming in as a competitor. What do you guys see as your main sweet spot when it comes to addressing the digital divide? Well, um, I don't think it's rural. And I say that because we are not hungry for government subsidies and a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of kind of hanging around the hoop looking for mm -hmm. some of that free money. Um, uh, you know, we think there's lots of people trying to solve that problem. It's felt clear to us for the last 24, 36 months that the last people to probably end up being well served would be urban poor. And so we've thought a lot about that problem. But I would say underneath, you know, I think that people, uh, what, hive it off a little bit too much. What I mean when I say that is we all like to call this infrastructure. That's what everybody's language is from the capital that gets infused coming from infrastructure funds to the way that the, the, the suppliers themselves, the ISPs themselves talk about it. Well, if it's infrastructure, then everybody needs it. And, you know, I think we, we talk about it as infrastructure, but then we don't treat it like we would electricity or water just in the way we hold it. So, you know, when we look at a market that has incredibly low fixed internet uh, uh, take rates, that just feels like an opportunity because, you know, the, the issue is not that those people don't want faster, better, more reliable internet. Right. 
Okay. Um, that gets into the affordable connectivity program a little bit, but we're going to come back to that first. Let me uh, do what I've been threatening to do and ask you about a couple of these open access partnerships. Um, the first one was most recently announced in Memphis. Um, you guys are coming in as the main anchor tenant uh, yeah. on Blue Suede Network's network in Memphis. So tell me a bit about uh, that latest announcement, um, why that's a good market for you guys, and um, maybe the timeline for for all that. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I it, let me start at the end in terms of timelines. Those will sure. come from Blue Suede Networks. You know, I know I know what they're planning, but, you know, construction's difficult. And, uh, um, you know, I don't think there's a hardened construction plan right now. OK. Uh, you know, Memphis is an amazing uh, city and opportunity in a few respects. Uh, first of all, you know, Blue Suede Networks is, uh, you know, uh, is owned by a large uh, utility in France that has a, a real P3 mandate to them. We were, we've been impressed from the beginning, both with their, the, the way they're looking at these markets, uh, you know, what they want to do in, in their solutions and, uh, with the team they've put together to execute against them. You know, I will say that, uh, all partner markets are not created equal, and our experience has been broadly varied in terms of partner performance. And when a partner is not performing uh, as an ISP, you end up stranding a lot of capital, and it's very yeah. painful. So Memphis in particular, uh, you know, as I've come to understand the history, it, it's, just, it's just an amazing city. You know, in the in the middle of the 20th century, Memphis was on a par with Dallas and Atlanta as, you know, sort of what would be the great city in the South. Uh, we all you know, are well aware that Dallas and Atlanta are now, you know, considered in a different uh, uh, tier than Memphis. Memphis has a, a really high ACP population. Uh, Memphis is also one of the great black cities in the U.S., and um, so as we've thought about, you know, all of the different uh, uh, facets of this opportunity, um, you know, I'd say two things. One, everybody in our organization is, is excited to tackle it. And two, uh, we thought that this needed a bit of a different treatment than we've typically brought to it. So we brought in a partner. Uh, that, you know, when I say a partner, it's a, a group of very, uh, um, uh, very strong black entrepreneurs who have deep excellence in uh, bringing marketing in a creative way to different markets. And, and look, you know, if there's one thing that is deeply true, uh, uh, nobody talks about telecom marketing as being... Uh, uh, creative or brilliant or interesting. Uh, uh, frankly, if you think about it in terms of the core of marketing, getting people's attention and influencing them, telecom marketing is almost all wasted. So we'd like to really look at just reinventing uh, that whole segment and what a better place to do it. And I think that the other point that's really important for me to make with Memphis, um, I've been... Uh, engaging with uh, cities and towns and municipalities uh, across the U.S. in this space since 2015, some small, some larger. 
I have never seen more civic energy around this. And that really takes sort of two forms. One is resources. So when mm -hmm. I say resources, it's not, you know, people shoveling cash, but it's people really bringing themselves to this opportunity, uh, civic leaders, businesses in the community, et cetera, with just a lot of how can we help? Uh, that is, uh, you know, the, uh, myself and, and, and some of the other folks who have been around this space since the beginning just, you know, agree around that. And, uh, you know, the, the, the second element there is, is uh, the pride that they all have. You know, there is a, a deep feeling about what Memphis can be. And I'll tell you, just getting on the ground there and experiencing some of the history, uh, both around music and culture, uh, uh, you know, I, w I was taken by it. And so, you know, I think that um, this will be a market where, and, you know, maybe this shifts us a bit into ACP more generally, this will be a market where we're really going to lean into our uh, uh, two gig ACP offering where we're really gonna lean into some of the creative things we're doing with mobile. Uh, and, uh, you know, we think that this this just can be a, uh, a model for some of the ways, well, two things. I'd say we'd love it to be a model for how one can approach digital divide in uh, markets with a fair bit of urban poor. And, and two, as the start point for iteration around learning how to do this too. So we mm -hmm. want to kind of take a new path, take the machete out and start hacking the branches off the trail. And, you know, hopefully it'll become a, a beaten path over the next couple yeah. of years. Awesome. And are you guys coming in, I, I assume, as a competitor to existing cable companies? Is that yeah. the main providers in the area? That's right. That's okay. Right. okay. Gotcha. You know, and um, you, you yeah. can expect to hear announcements from AT&T and Comcast, pretty sure it's Comcast in Memphis, uh, very soon. You know, we have seen recently that Comcast announced the very first Doxus 4 market in the world. Magically, that's in Colorado Springs, where the utility is building fiber. So, yeah. uh, uh, you know, congratulations <laughs> to the people of Memphis already, because I'm sure the incumbents are, 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 are scrambling. <laughs> I was going to um, ask you about the Colorado Springs uh, Utilities Network because we covered that one on Light Reading back in August when it was announced. Yeah. So is there anything further you can tell me about uh, progress on that or perhaps how that market is, is different than the Memphis market? Well, yeah, look, I, uh, I wrote a piece a few years ago, you know, the road to fiber takes 10,000 paths and every city and town has its own story. It really mm -hmm. does. Um, uh, so... You know, when you say how they're different, they're different in the ways that Colorado Springs is different than from Memphis. And, um, uh, you know, an amazing thing, though, is almost every place we go, small, large, they all say the same thing. Oh, we're different. And the ways in which they're different are often similar. So, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I think that, I think that it, it is true that some of the uh, approaches, particularly around, you know, if we start to tease out some digital divide issues, uh, what we do with devices in Memphis uh, or what we do with digital literacy in Memphis might be a little different than what we'll do in Colorado Springs, but they will definitely rhyme. We'll learn something 
in each market that we'll be able to apply to the others. Gotcha. And is that um, is that market already under construction? Colorado Springs? Yeah. Oh, we're, yeah. we're, we're loading it now. You're okay. We're, sorry. We're, yeah. There, there are addresses now. Excellent. You know, sort of coming. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. So, all right, let's move on to the affordable connectivity program because um, I think you guys are doing some interesting stuff with this. Um, Unlike a lot of other service providers that tend to only apply the ACP to their lower speed plans, uh, you guys at Ting are offering gigabit plans to ACP participants at no cost, I believe. Um, So, or maybe local, you can tell me the exact details. Yeah. First question. Yeah. Look, the, the, yeah, the, the, the offering, let me take a step back. Sure. For me, current internet pricing is fighting the last war. So if we think back to, you know, how we got here, it was infrastructure for telephones, infrastructure for televisions, now infrastructure for the internet. Mm-hmm. Infrastructure for telephones, that was rate regulated. You had a price for your phone. That's what you had. With television small, medium, and large, like web hosting, like dozens of other uh, categories, made sense. Some people want sports, some don't. Some people want HBO, some don't. Some want 150 channels, some are happy with 60, whatever the crazy numbers are. With the internet, again, back to my point earlier, if if it's infrastructure, if it's a utility, what do you want? We don't talk about water or electricity is, you know, I'd like it to work most of the time. I want my water clean, but it doesn't have to be perfectly clean. So it, it, it always has struck me as just fighting the last war. As much as possible, you know, we've tried to kind of hew towards a single skew. We're getting closer and closer and closer to that. So I, I, I have to give you that background because mm-hmm. that's the way that we think infrastructure should be sold. So given that, Oh, and by the way, dirty little secret, it does not cost, it costs virtually nothing more to provide that 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 full pipe as opposed to right. the pipe that you're squeezing. The only benefit to squeezing the pipe is to create artificial scarcity so you can charge more for other stuff. So we're just trying to rip all of that away, you know, just, just um, uh, uh, look, a lot of it is just convention. A lot of it is done because that's what was done. And... Uh, so we, you know, we just want to lay it bare. So we yeah. generally have a single skew. If you're getting that new and it's a new infrastructure, that skew will support two gigs. You know, it, 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 CEO is always you know, CEO is always dream a little bit more than the organization. You know, to me, it's like we're not even talking about speeds, right? Like, you yeah. know, it's just you've just got fat pipe always on. Get out of the way, yeah. and. So that that's the the underpinning to the to the offering. Then, in terms of pricing, look, you know, the the challenge is, and I think we can meet this challenge. Can you make money at thirty dollars? Because if you can, you avoid a lot of complexity. You massively spike adoption. Look, we we go into a, an apartment building, just in a typical footprint. And we'll say to landlords, hey, landlord, if you buy fiber connectivity for your whole building, we'll give it to you for half price Mm -hmm. because we've built a model based on a 50% take rate. If you give us 100%, we'll 
you know, we'll give it to you for half price. We're in the same place. The actual cost of provisioning the internet underneath is not that burdensome. You could think about that principle here. Operationally, it's a lot simpler to just say that's a single skew. You get what everybody else gets. The government is the one paying that fee. Now, uh, you know, at the end of the day, there's probably six elements of heresy in there. Uh, uh, So I'll, I'll let you tease them out. Well, I I guess my main question for you is I'm sure you're aware that that program is potentially running out of yeah. funding. Um, it yeah. sounds like it's, you know, a big part of how you guys are selling yourselves to some of these communities. And it sounds like an important part of your business. So, uh, you know, you can refute that first of all, but yeah. I'm also wondering how you guys are thinking about that potential poss- possibility and um, if you're preparing for uh, that an outcome where that program, you know, goes yeah. away. Yeah, so I think there's there's three things there. One, you know, when you talk about uh, selling to communities, look, I think that our approach is a holistic approach. You've heard me describe it sort of from a number of angles. I think communities just see that approach and it's consistent with what they want in a partner. You know, I don't think mm-hmm. that is tethered on you're providing a $30 two gig skew, right? So I, 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 I think it's broader than that. I, I want to believe it's broader than that. That's point one. Point two, you know, you see so much today in politics, uh, you know, uh, people playing chicken with each other. And, you know, we, we just, I deeply believe uh, that there is, that it is highly unlikely that the funding gets pulled for this. Okay. Um, my the, the the folks inside the organization and uh, you know and connected with us who are more plugged into the day-to-day politics worry about it because they're <laughs> watching the sausage get made yeah. i've chosen to just take a step back and uh, uh, believe that there the incentives are so aligned to getting this refunded and now that i've said that <laughs> we do think that there are a number of alternatives emerging. You know, there are people, organizations, foundations that are thinking about this problem as well and are uh, uh, hoping and planning to potentially backstop some of it. So I think that, uh, uh, you know, are we flying without a net here? There's a little bit of that for sure. Uh, But I think that all the right incentives are in place uh, to see this get solved positively. All right. I could use to adopt some of your uh, attitude. It would be better for my mental health. Well, you have to watch it. You have to watch (laughs) it. That's exactly. Yeah, I watch all the hearings. Um, So last question for you then. I know you mentioned you guys aren't super interested in um, public subsidies for infrastructure purposes, but of course, uh, next year we'll start the the bead fund being allocated, um, distributed, uh, $42.5 billion for infrastructure to close the digital divide in the U.S. So are you guys, do you see opportunities for Ting with BEAD and, and where might you be looking for to yeah, participate I, in that I program? For us, we'll be looking for BEAD where it's just a natural adjacency to our existing footprints. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that um, there are a lot of businesses for whom that is a sort of central strategic push. 
there's also, as you know better than I, a lot of noise back and forth around everything from Buy American to letters of credit. I mean, a lot of these things are getting sorted out, but uh, you know, you really can spend a lot of organizational energy, you know, down in matters like this, gnashing your teeth and wringing your hands. And I really like to take that energy and put it into operational efficiency because I think that just serves uh, everybody uh, uh, better. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that that we want to make sure that we are opportunistic, uh, but it is not central to what we're doing. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Um, all right. I lied. I do have one last question for you really quickly, just because um, it, it's related to the digital divide. And in your uh, press materials, you guys tend to say that you're committed to net neutrality in the open internet. So I'm just curious yeah. if you have a position on the FCC's latest proceeding on the open internet and net neutrality in Title II. You know, what I would say is um, we have been committed to net neutrality in the open internet for you know, now nearly 30 years, that's where we have spent a lot of our organizational energy and still do uh, in the domain name space, which is, you know, regulated and has a lot of open internet issues that naturally uh, uh, sort of get get dealt with there. Um, look, I think that uh, we are pleased to see that this is back on the docket. Um, we are not surprised. And what I say next is, uh, just what I read in places like TechDirt and DSL reports, but it seems as if incumbents are again, using a lot of dark and dirty money to, uh, uh, engage in a lot of scare tactics against net neutrality. I, I continue to not understand what they are so worried about, but, um, the best sense I can make of it is it's some religious view about the role of business and government. And, um, you know, I'm, I just want to do the, you know, we're just happy to, to do the right thing and not have, you know, not let the religion come into it. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed talking with you and I hope we'll get the opportunity to chat with you again. I'm sure we will. Thank you. Thank you again, Elliot, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Pierre Landriau, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.